Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. And I'm Tyler Orton. After a year of NASA... After a year of NAFTA renegotiations, the U.S. and Mexico have signed on to a new trade accord. Notably missing, however, is Canada. International trade expert John Rees, a professor at the Sutter School of Business at the University of BC, he joins us to discuss where this latest development leaves our country. Later on, our weekly tech panel featuring Progressive CEO Ali Pourdad and Glue Technology Society's CEO Linda Falkus will be joining us, and they're going to discuss everything from Elon Musk's big reversal on uh, taking the company private to a resurgence in interest, uh, resurgence in interest in uh, Windows 95, the operating system. There's a range of innovative, disruptive technology that's emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency. Hope you'll join us September 13th for BIV's FinTech panel, where we're going to be focusing on helping small and medium-sized businesses make informed decisions in this new landscape. For more information, go to BIB.com slash events. Up next, UBC's John Rees. Foreign Minister Christian Freeland, she's in Washington today to resume NAFTA renegotiations. There's a renewed sense of urgency behind these year-long talks after the U.S. and Mexico agreed to some sort of new accord this week. Joining us today to offer some insights on what this all means for Canada, it is international trade expert John Rees. He's a professor at the Sauter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. John, great to have you back on the show. Good morning. What have we got left here? <laughs> well, I think this is good news for Canada. Uh, I think that uh, um, this deal has to be consummated um, soon in the next week or so. So Congress, the U.S. Congress has time to to approve it before the midterm elections. And so there's a rush to, to, to make this work. And I think the elements of it that's coming out of the Mexico deal, not terrible for, for Canada. There is um, 75% uh, local content requirements for automobiles up from 62.5. But that means more production in North America, uh, potentially even Canada. And the um, wage agreement that a certain amount of the cars have to be made with higher um, uh, wage laborers is going to be good for Canada as well, because we can um, compete better with Mexico at a higher wage rate. Well, one of the big sticking points throughout negotiations have always seemed to be the supply management issues that we have here between the United States and Canada. Do you anticipate that Canada is going to budge on this? Could this continue to be a sticking point as negotiations resume? Yeah, I mean, I think something has to give, and I think the path of, well, there will be a lot of resistance, but, you know, the best path is um, to ease supply management. It's not a terrible for Canada because it's going to give uh, Canadian consumers, you know, more access to lower priced, lower priced goods. I mean, we should be careful about labeling so that we make sure that the milk that we're getting from the States you know, doesn't have... Uh, the hormones or other things that some of the Canadian consumers don't want to consume. Is it a, a true trade deal that Donald Trump has been able to effect with Mexico, or is it almost like a branding exercise? Well, I, I think that, you know, the agreement on on um, local content for automobiles is something that, you know, had to be worked out, and it sounds like there's something firm on that. Uh the, the you know the the, the wages um, to um, raise the wages paid to Mexican workers and automobiles is also something that had to be resolved. It looks like you know the, the silly demands to like balance you know 
make an agreement to balance this trade between Canada and Mexico. That seems to be the drop. That was uh, pr- pretty yeah. impossible. So yeah. I think there's some 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 substance there, and there's all sorts of modernization that needs to be done um, for, in the agreement, and you know hopefully that will be you know part of this this new agreement. By putting a, a, a bilateral deal together, John, is Canada just in the unenviable position now where it it somehow appears to be a holdout and therefore is going to be under immense pressure to get something signed by week's end? Well, I, I mean, it's good and bad. I mean, it, it does um, have a create a very short timeline to resolve the, the various issues. But Canada has thought about this for you know more than a year now. So, so we should know what we're willing to give on and what we're not willing to give on. And, and the pressure's on the U.S. side as well. Trump badly needs a victory and to, to distract um, the uh, American audience from some of his other troubles. And it, it's close and, you know, and it really needs Canada to participate. So, you know, we have some, some leverage, but this is a pretty rushed schedule ahead for Canada. I, I go back to what Kirk was saying about whether this is a branding exercise. And I, I wonder about the optics of this all, because of course we have yeah, Mexico seeking assurances from Canada that it would not conduct its own bilateral negotiations, you know, months and months ago. And, and Canada wanted the same for Mexico. This is not exactly what had happened here, but Trump is very much kind of framing it as if this is a new kind of bilateral trade agreement that Canada might be free to join. Does it look a little odd just based on what Canada and Mexico seem to be agreeing to do with each other and include with each other just a few months back? Well, I, I think that, you know, we need to pursue whatever path moves us forward instead of uh, being in this in stasis and, and not uh, having tariffs and retaliatory tariffs uh, erected. And, and this, you know, seems to seems to um, have worked, at least, uh, you know, it's, it's created some forward momentum and there's a good possibility that uh, things will get resolved in, in a week or two. So you know, it's not what I you know what we started thinking was was, was going to happen, but you know maybe may, maybe it makes sense for Mexico and the U.S. to work out their sticky sticking points. And what they came up with doesn't seem, as I said, you know, initially doesn't seem that bad for Canada. In fact, it seems uh, good in a lot of a lot of ways. It didn't have the comprehensive feel that, of course, Donald Trump's rhetoric might have suggested at the outset of negotiations. Um, does he get a win out of this? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a win just that uh, people are no, no longer talking about uh, Cone and, and Manafort and, and, and thinking about <laughs> business and moving forward with the economy. For six so, or, for six um, or know, seven hours anyway. He's going to declare wins wherever, wherever he can. And, and you know, just, you know the, the fact that, uh, you know, that he's, he's gotten an agreement um uh, he'll certainly market as a big win and certainly is marketing as a big win for himself what i'm worried about is was if we do hopefully come up with a tripartite uh, agreement if if trump doesn't want to use nafta you know maybe you and the three of us should brainstorm what would be the yeah the, the new name for the uh I, I, yeah, we've, agreement. <laughs> we, we've had success in previous uh, acronym uh, brainstorming uh, well, the, when you've been the, on the show. The Trump, it's, it has to be, the word Trump will probably have to be in there. Okay. <laughs> Trump trade. I, I, can't, Trump trade. I can't imagine that it's Trump Trudeau Nieto or like that, that's not going to work. <laughs> so it's got to be, it's got to be just the yeah. Trumpian, the, the, yeah, well, never mind. Trump oh, international oh, trade. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. The Trump, the Trump Tower Accord. Yeah. yeah. 
That way he gets it. Much. That way he gets his hotels all talked about every time it gets in the papers. Well, the, the name aside, though, because the thing that I keep going back to, and as details are going to emerge, I mean, what if it emerges that maybe this isn't as great a deal for Canada as we'd like to hope? Is it better for Canada to have no deal at all, or maybe just a bad deal that it has with the United States, no matter what comes of it? Well, I'm hopeful we don't get a, a a bad deal. I'm I think that you know Canada can be better off by easing its its supply management. Uh, something else we might give on is the exemptions on on uh, goods coming across the the, the, the border um, from the twenty dollars um, to you know something you know like hundred two hundred. That's going to make uh, sh- shoppers happy as we order things you know small things online and don't have to worry about uh, uh, duties and and. Um, processing charges on them, so I, I think these things are, you know, you know, are positive. Maybe not for for dairy farmers, but we'll yeah. pay, we can pay them off. I mean, for TPP, we were going to pay off di- dairy and and farmers, and we'll have to do the same um, to try and make them whole, or at least partly whole. Well, we can make them whole or partly whole, but the fact is that uh, in Quebec, this is still one of those issues that beguiles politicians. And uh, the conservatives have been very careful. Of course, they parted ways with Maxime Bernier last week. They're they're real mm-hmm. supply management foe. Um, if Justin Trudeau appears to be giving this one away in a trade negotiation, uh, doesn't he risk the possibility that he leaves his flank open in Quebec? I mean, I I, I hear you. It's nineteen thousand farmers, I think, somewhere around there, but uh, it has a much larger li- than life impact on him politically, possibly. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think it is going to be hard to to to, to spin this. Um, I mean, I I, th- I think that we're going to have to come away with um, something, you know, that we see as as beneficial uh, to us. I think that we've been, you know, eyeing um, uh, government contracts in, in the U.S. that we haven't had access to, and that's, you know, hopefully there'll be, you know, some things that will be, you know, thrown in that Canada has on their wish list. Um, and, uh, and, um, that can be, that can be pitches of victory. But, um, I think that, you know, the alternative of, of being left out and having all this uncertainty, um, you know, a business is going to abandon Canada because it's just too risky to do, to, 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 um, locate your, your production here, um, with very uncertain access to big markets. And, and you don't have faith that Congress, uh, would, would get stodgy in this case if Canada weren't a participant in the deal and and essentially hold out and try to basically uh, make it impossible for the White House to get this one through. Yeah, but th- that's possible. Then we're back to where we were, you know, a few weeks ago, which wasn't a very good situation where we had tariffs and retaliatory mm-hmm. tariffs and and lots of uncertainty. Right. So I, I think I think you know resolving this, you know, and then pitching it as favorably as, as we can politically. You know, makes sense, and and I think I think that uh, it's not a, it's not bad for for Canada. On, like I said, for the for for uh, autos, which is a big industry. Of course, it's Ontario, not Quebec. Um, there, you know, there could be some real benefits with this new agreement relative to the old one with the higher local content and the higher Mexican wages. Well, John, we're going to continue monitoring this. It'd be great to have you back on the show sometime soon as more details come out. But for now, I want to thank you for joining us today. Sure, sure. Nice talking to you guys. That's John Rees. He's a professor at the Sauter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Up next, we're talking Tesla and data throttling and more with our weekly tech panel.
joining us to talk about everything from Elon Musk's big reversal to the big comeback window 95 is seemingly making right now. It's our weekly tech panel, and I'd like to welcome to the show Ali Pordad, CEO of Progressa, and Linda Fakas. She is the CEO of the Glue Technology Society. Ali, Linda, thank you guys both for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. All right. So we savaged, we savaged uh, Elon Musk last week. Uh, it's probably a good time for us to actually start to be nice to him or somehow. He, he, he's, he has crawled back. I felt Linda. like I was a little mean last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell us, why, why did he, uh, was it just a good business decision to crawl back? I um I don't know, but my guess is his fanboy shareholders have won him back, and it perhaps is the devil you know. Mm. The uh, public company didn't look like a great option when he noticed that Volkswagen was one of the uh, potential investors. Um, I'm a little troubled to hear that he didn't quite understand what it would mean to his existing shareholders to move them from a public to a private company, but he figured that out. And got the uh, woohoo from his board when he said, okay, forget it. Let's get back to work. I, I want to point out you're not exactly being kind to him. You're, you're, you're still damning him with faint praise. <laughs> Ali- I, 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 yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Ali, uh, what, what, was, what was the decision, do you think, uh, that he had to make here? I, I actually don't think he had the, the private support at all. I mean, I don't think, or at least he didn't have enough and he sort of just made it up on the fly. So... You know, this just goes right back to square one, and square one is actually not a great, great place for Tesla right now. They're, uh, you know, they were sitting on, um, I believe, a couple billion dollars of cash, two billion of cash at, at halfway through this year. This is a company that lost two billion dollars last year, uh, and so, you know, we're not, we're not talking about a lot of runway left. You know, they, they think they've burnt through almost two billion in the first half of, of 2018. So. You know, they're, if they don't get their production up to hit bigger targets, they're going to run out of money. And for all intents and purposes, you can, I think analysts have sort of started to forecast it and uh, they've determined they will run out of money. So uh, he needs to get to the equity markets now and raise money. And he's coming off the heels of a very bad public relations nightmare. So it'll be interesting to see if investors support him. If he's out raising money, do you think it'd be an opportune time to bring on like a strong number two, somebody that could rein him in, Linda? Or, or do you think this is just a guy who can't really be reined in? Like if it's a reined in Elon Musk, it's not really Elon Musk. And that's who everybody wants to do business with, I guess. Yeah. And I'd like to see Elon do what he does best and go explore the world and stay at that, let's say, 30,000 foot level and and create ideas. But it's a perfect time, I think, for him to bring in a number two that knows what Tesla needs, which is running an automobile company. And that's clearly not Elon's area of expertise. And so I would love to see him, um, if I were a shareholder, certainly uh, doing what he does best and bring in somebody who the markets will love and his shareholders will love and get this car manufacturer side of Tesla running well. Ali, you bring up the point that there's maybe not a lot of runway left, though. Is he just going to have to be focused on raising money for the foreseeable future? I I just wonder about those day-to-day operations that, I mean, he keeps getting into, you know, a little, uh, getting his foot in his mouth too often right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he has a sweet spot in his own organization right now, because naturally, I would tell you, he should be going and raising money because they're about to run out. But he's not doing a great job of investor relations right now. And yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, we're also talking about not having him in the operation because he doesn't know what he's doing there. So uh, I think he's in a really tough spot. And, and I don't think he, I think he might end up in a situation where he doesn't have a choice. You know, they could just 
gradually run out of money here if, if investors won't support them. And that may, uh, you know, result in a private equity firm coming in or a competitor coming in to swoop them up. And he may not have a choice. He may just, uh, he may be on the short end of that stick. Because the, the worst case scenario, Linda, isn't that Tesla gets mothballed, is it? That it's the great car that could have been? I don't know that that, my, I wouldn't see that happening. Yeah. I would see that the technology would be purchased by, gladly by many people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right now, it, it, I, or, sorry, go ahead, Ali. I was just going to say, I think it depends uh, in, very much on their current, the state, the current state of their liabilities. So I don't know if their liabilities exceed their $2 billion of cash on hand, but you know, if they've made two or three, $4 billion of commitments over the next six months, they're really in trouble. And somebody's got to look at their financials, financials to uh, determine that. I think one thing that maybe could, uh, I don't know, hit close to home for a lot of British Columbians, you look at how the air has just cleared up in the last few weeks here as we've had a lot of first responders battling wildfires across the province. And of course, we've benefited from weather patterns changing. But we have this story out from California where first responder agencies there, they've had their first responders had their data throttled as they've been battling these flames. And it got a lot of backlash against Verizon. It excellent, looks, excellent public relations move there. Well, yeah. and it seems it wasn't just bad customer service. It was also maybe a policy issue as well that they have since gone back and revised. You know, they're, they're trying to do damage control here. But I mean, from your perspective, Ali, what happens if, you know, there, there's wildfires going on in British Columbia and we have first responders facing very similar issues where there's just communication is ratcheted down for, you know, just kind of, it seems like pretty dumb reasons at this point. Uh, well, I don't think it's, uh, so I'm going to make a couple of comments. One is I hope, and the other is I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's possible that this could happen in Canada because I, I believe the reason this occurred was due to primarily the net neutrality rules uh, being revoked. Hmm. Um, you know, when the net neutrality rules were revoked earlier this year, it opened up, uh, and that's just a Trump, uh, a Trump uh, administration decision. It opened up the ability for companies like Verizon to throttle their bandwidth on their networks, and so uh, you know it's in their best interest financially to do so. It, it limits uh, the, the the bandwidth ca- uh, capabilities of the network, but this is a downside risk: is that real people will get impacted uh, in real life, life and death situations, and. And then, you know, don't leave it to an administration like the Trump administration to leave those people uh, first in mind when they make these decisions that are purely financial. Linda, I, I mean, obviously, Nally is bringing up the net neutrality rules that are uh, Canada is benefiting from right now. But there are still a lot of concerns that this would have an impact on Canada. If you just look at businesses operating in the United States and they could have kind of that tidal wave effect on what would come up here, should we still be very concerned about the potential impact of net neutrality down in the United States, even if we continue these regulations up here? Yes, we should. Absolutely. But I understood that the Verizon issue was simply a data cap question, Mm -hmm. that the use uh, for the firefighters had exceeded its data cap and the customer support guys didn't say, okay, you're fighting a forest fire. We'll let you continue. Too busy battling a fire. What are they supposed to do? Go go online and and Tick, 40 tick, minutes of tick uh, the boxes say yeah, I want more data for exactly. the you know, or, or and, let me let me give you my credit card you yeah know? we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars fighting the worst forest fires we've ever seen compared to last year even yeah. we need to make sure some of that money is going towards our uh, wild BC wildfire service and the other first responders understanding the tech support that makes their operations run 
yeah. delivering these messages and having us be able to read them. Important. Well, guys, if we think about other things that uh, might be giving people pause, Windows 95 is making a bit of a comeback. And uh, that had, it sparked my curiosity. You can go and uh, download this app that will essentially go over, say, your current operating system. It's available for Mac, okay. uh, Windows, Linux. Uh, it is an interesting experience if you're really into Minesweeper and Solitaire back in the day. Linda, is any sort of nostalgia that you have for this 23-year-old operating system? Let's reveal our ages here. <laughs> yeah. How many of us played with Windows? I, I do remember New Coke as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a lot of um, nostalgia for Minesweeper because I was really bad at it, but uh, I do like the Throwback Thursday. I think it's a a fun look at um, Microsoft, certainly on an Apple Watch. You can even see it on an Apple Watch, so over on the desktop now. Um, yeah, Throwback for sure. I think I think there's a there's value in this alley in um, requiring people to actually endure the slower moving <laughs> things just just so that they stop kvetching every time they can't get netflix <laughs> yeah. to run at a 4k level on their phones uh you know it, it, this would actually uh, just great. be this would be good i think this would be good for us a little bit of therapy back in the day and, I, when, and I might I think, say particularly for kids back in the day when yeah, second I'm, seconds didn't matter as much back in 1995 growing up as a kid my my parents would be you know giving us the stories we were walking to school as children, you guys get dropped off. Well, this is the same sort of thing. I can now show this to my kids and say, back in the day, you know, we used to wait for uh, our computers to load for half an hour before uh, we could use them. Yeah, exactly. Have that uh, blue screen that you'd always inevitably face at a certain point. You know, and then you hear the chime. And, yep. the, and, the, <laughs> and that Microsoft logo just seared, seared into your brain. Yeah. Because, because you'd have to stare at it for at least 15 seconds before it anything would happen once it was up there. I'm just waiting for maybe what, what the next big, you know, nostalgia trip's going to be for, you know, the computer people. Is it going to be Netscape. Netscape? We gotta bring we gotta bring okay. back Netscape. And- Something like Ask Jeeves or or you know like web crawler. <laughs> yeah. What was what was before yeah. Netscape by the way? I'm trying to remember what was the original what were some of the original uh uh, web. Well, I remember there was like AOL that yeah. like you get yeah. the disc that was very popular. No, no, yeah. no. Listen, uh, AOL is still a going concern in the parts of the United States where they just don't have broadband. Um, okay. People are still yeah. Yeah. people are still uh, sending their twenty five dollars a month to whatever American Online is now uh, to, for, to get connected to keep to keep their uh, like low power modems going at like whatever two fifty six. Whatever, uh, who knows what their I, bit rate is? I but. think those same customers also are, are on Windows ninety five. Yeah, running it native on yeah, a PC. You know, just, yeah. you know the, the funny, the funny Absolutely. thing is, I think uh, Kirk, I think AOL is actually owned by Verizon. Ah, okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So hopefully, there's not going to be any data throttling when it comes to using that operating system. <laughs> yeah, but we do have some, I guess, some more high-tech stuff going on here. Uh, airport in the United States, they actually just found their first imposter using brand new facial recognition systems that were implemented earlier this year. Uh, it's fascinating stuff because you hear a lot about how the Chinese government is investing in this big time domestically just to keep watch on citizens. It makes me think of that scene in uh, the Tom Cruise movie Minority Report where he's just recognized Everywhere he goes, he's giving advertisements uh, specifically for him just because it recognizes everything that he's doing. I, I'm just curious. I mean, Linda, are we going to have to get used to a society where 
we're constantly being recognized. Are we ever going to have options to bow out of this? I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a case at an airport, for example. I think our face as a cookie is a real thing yeah. now. Yeah, as we um, certainly cross borders and enter government buildings and access government services, facial recognition, I believe, will be a really important step in that security piece. But also as retailers decide to move towards this extreme personalization of our interaction with technology, we're going to be walking by a store, recognizing our face. And Linda, you bought this sandwich last time you were here. How about this deal? Stop, Linda. Come in. I don't think there's any getting away from it. I think we need to find a way to either print really cheap 3D masks (laughs) or else uh, (laughs) figure out a way to manage our our privacy settings. Well, I'm looking at the way that Sasha Baron Cohen seemed to fool all of America with his four different people. Oh my, uh, incredible. That that I have to to say that I think the facial recognition thing still probably isn't the way to solve it all because he seems to have fooled most of smart America, (laughs) left and right, about who he was. This is America, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Ali, uh, maybe moving forward, I, I mean, are you going to be investing in uh, Linda's 3D printed masks? Or, I, I mean, is it kind of like concerning for you? I, I mean, there's just something, I, I guess the best word for me is just like gross about this. I, You know, I my first reaction when I uh, read the article was one of uh, interest. I mean, I wasn't quite turned off by this. I, you know, I think the, use, the particular use case where this individual was caught. It was at an airport. He was trying to get into the country. He didn't have proper identification. You know, I thought that was that was pretty pretty great. Like I thought that was awesome. Uh, so, do I see downside risks? Absolutely. But if this is the start, sort of the start of it, and uh, and you know, rules are put in place, and uh, you know, people have options, then maybe it goes in a direction where it can help people. But I totally agree. This is there's a lot a lot of downside risks here as well. Well, if it's being implemented in airport, I just hope that it means that we move through the lines much faster. They're not going to have to ask people to pull out different, you know, their Nexus card, their trusted traveler card, passports, you know, what have you. Maybe there is some benefit to the convenience factor here. Well, if it can replace our passwords, people people will love it. Yeah. As long as the people in Sweden are people in Sweden are already using the chips now inside of their uh, inside of their arms, so they're actually. Uh, they've designed a, a, a small microchip that you put inside of your inside your skin, under your skin, and now you don't and you don't need to carry uh, key cards around anymore. And that's uh, it's being tested in, in in some of the European countries today. As long as our transportation agencies aren't using Windows ninety five to screen us, <laughs> no, no guarantee. By the way, I, I remember now what's the original Mosaic. Do you remember Mosaic? mosaic? Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mosaic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ali, Linda, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. That's thank Al- you. That's Ali Pordet, CEO of Progressa, and Linda Fakas. She's the CEO of Glue Technology Society. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and don't forget to leave a review. Be sure to find our stories, of course, in print and online at BIV.com. We'll see you next time. 